Oh God, we recognize that name. What do we do with it? It's our name now. What does it mean? Ah, these few moments galvanize our minds. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. They say never begin a sermon with an apology. I'm going to have to do that today. I'm sorry. I have to eat and run. I have to actually leave early, earlier than you. I'll be through that door before you will, so I'm going to keep my uh, overcoat right there. Grab it, and then I'll go. But before I go, I want to, I want to talk about this man who's front and center through that uh, video trailer. Thank you, Jonathan LaPointe, for producing these. Very well done. John Nevins Andrews. I'll tell you why I'm, I'm kind of stoked about him. Not just because he's the namesake of this great university that we all are a part of, whether you're in the community or campus, but because he's the poster child of the truth that the founders and pioneers of this movement you and I, most of us belong to, were young. And I'm going to add because of him, very young. I've already run some names and ages by you. Ellen Harmon, 17 years old. You've probably heard of her. A young man named James White, 21 years of age. At the same time they were those ages, John Nevins Andrews is 15 years old. Apparently, God is not dependent upon age to ignite a movement and turn the world upside down. I love that thought. John Evans Andrews, born Portland, Maine, 1829. Age of 13, as he put it, I found the Savior. Accepts Jesus as his, as his Lord. Two years later, he is 15. His family, the whole Andrews tribe, they have embraced the teachings of William Miller. You remember that name? Jesus is coming soon. The glorious tidings. This world is about to end. They embrace it, hook, line, and sinker. October 22, 1844, when Jesus does not come, young John, 15. Very interesting little side note here. Ellen and uh, James get married. We already knew that. But a couple years later, after they get married, they, they come up to where the Andrews family lives in Maine, and they move in with the family for seven months. How would you like to have house guests for seven months? John, at that time, is 20. And because of that, John and James and Ellen become very close friends. 21. When he turns 21, he says, I'm going to start preaching for Jesus. And that's what he does. In fact, get this. The first three years of his itinerant preaching ministry, first three years, he conducts 20 evangelistic campaigns. I figured that out. That is one every other month. And during the same three years, he is riding up a storm, 35 published articles, 170,000 words at the same time. In fact, he once commented how he loved, and these are his words, severe study much more than physical activity. That's probably why they've chosen to be the namesake of this university, severe study. That must have been it. But he would, pay, he would live to regret those words. He paid a high price through his life because he, he liked studying more than exercise. By the age of 26, five years into his young ministry, he is burned out. He collapses. His voice is gone. His eyes are going blind. He has to leave. He goes back to the family farm, now in Walken, Iowa. Iowa. Well, where are you from? It doesn't matter. <laughs> this is Michigan. So, anyway, <laughs> it's my way of moving on, okay? So, 
Seven years, seven years he spends in physical labor. That was a godsend to turn his life around. They were significant seven years, by the way. During those seven years, he met the lovely Angeline Stevens. They fell in love, got married. Then they had two children, Charles and Mary. Two babies died in infancy. During that time, the mind of John Nevins Andrews is expanding. He's into Scripture. Get this. He ends up being able to read the Bible in seven different languages. He ends up memorizing the entire New Testament, word for word. In fact, I have his Bible right here. Can you imagine that? Right there. There are, there are unidentified security agents in this room right now. If I make one wrong move, it's, I'm, I'm gone. So thank you to my friend Merlin Burt, director of the Center of Adventist Research. And you'd expect Andrews University to have the Bible of John Nevins Andrews. So I opened the Bible up because they let me have it for a few hours. I opened the Bible up, and I see in the cover of the Bible, he keeps a record of every time he reads the Bible. He writes the date down when he finishes. 13, 18, 24, 26, time through South Lancaster, Massachusetts. His handwriting, very tiny. August 15, 1870, 27th time. Basel, Switzerland, August 19, 1876. We know that he read the Bible at least 27 times through. He becomes the bright mind of this fledgling movement. He becomes the, the resident scholar and theologian. During the seven years, very fruitful. During those seven years, during those seven years, he writes what becomes a classic of his. Here's the title. The History of the Sabbath and the First Day of the Week. It remains the most comprehensive treatment of the Sabbath, but will, but will soon be replaced by a contemporary apologetic even more thorough. And it's not coming from me, but you'll hear about it when it comes out. Seven years later now, he's recovered. He's 33 years of age. He grabs Angeline, children, let's go. And he starts preaching again. Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, Michigan. And then life moves into the fast track. Let me run some dates by you. 1864, he's elected to the Executive Committee of the New York Conference. 1865, he's elected to the General Conference Executive Committee. 1867, he is elected the third president of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, and he's only 38 years old. Now, what do you think about that? Amen. Two years later, he's tired of the job, and he quits. <laughs> he becomes the editor of, of the Review and Herald, as it was called. During that time... The U.S. plunges into the Civil War, as we know, 18, 1864, during the war. He was sent by this movement to Washington to petition the Provost Marshal General to grant Seventh-day Adventists the right to serve without bearing arms, non-combatants. As we are called, we still do not bear arms. Medics, that's how we'll serve the country. John Andrews was the one who opened up that provision. Wow. And then his world fell apart in 1872. When Angeline suffered a stroke and died instantly. How do you go on without your life companion? He takes his children to a family in South Lancaster, Massachusetts, so he can keep going on while he's not going on. And then everything breaks open, 1874. Now listen up. James and Ellen White are both writers. They are communicating to this movement through, through publications. Guys, we've been in this country long enough. It is time. It is time to move out, move out, move out. We've got to go to the world. The commission is to all the world. April 1874, 
Ellen White is in California. She goes to sleep in the night. While she's sleeping, she wakes up still asleep. She's suddenly in a room with a table. Around the table are the leaders of this new movement. They're debating. They're saying, you know what, urban centers, we don't belong to urban centers. We belong to villages and towns. That's where we belong. They're having this debate. Shall we go into cities or not? And then she writes, and these are her words, Then a young man whom I had frequently seen in my dreams came into the council room. He listened with deep interest to the words that were spoken. And then speaking with deliberation and authoritative confidence, he said, and I want you to write down what he said. Take your study guide out right now. He said, and you write it down. Pull your study guide out. You don't have it. Got some friendly ushers coming your way right now. Hold your hand up and say, I'd like, it. I'd like that study guide. I want to know what was in that dream. You'll get it. Hold your hand up. Those of you watching on live streaming right now, glad to have you. You know how to get your study guide. It's right there on the website. You're watching on television right now. Let me put the website on the screen for you. You'll see it. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for a new... Short little series called Stories in the Rearview Mirror. We've got to look back in order to know how to go forward. So we're, we're taking some heroes out of the past. Title of today's teaching, Why I Believe It's Time to Go Big or Go Home. All right? When you find that teaching, because that would be number three in this series, you click onto the study guide, you will have it. And we are ready and good to go. Okay? So, the young man now has the attention of the entire room when he, when he walks in and starts speaking. Jot it down, what he says. You see it there in the study guide? All right. The cities and villages, cities and villages, the cities and villages constitute a part of the Lord's vineyard. They must hear the messages of warning. You are to sow beside all waters. This is a big deal. You are entertaining too limited ideas of the work for this time. You're thinking way too small. Come on. Think big. You're thinking you're entertaining too limited ideas of the work for this time. You're trying to plan the work so that you can embrace it in your little arms. You must take broader views. Your light must not be put under a bushel or under a bed, but on a candlestick, quoting Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Why? That your light may give light to all that are in your house, and your house is the world. Write that down. Your house is the world. you got the whole world. Wow. What's that? What's that young man trying to tell them? You've got to go big or go home. That's what he's saying. You have got to go big. This tiny, tiny thinking. No need. Get rid of it. You've got to go big or go home. Ellen White, when she communicated that message to the leadership of the church, they finally got it. That summer, I like the way uh, Mervyn Maxwell, in his own inimitable style, puts it in his book, Moving Out, put his words on the screen, describing the moment. Here we go. That summer, August 14, 1874, the General Conference responded at last under the flapping canvas of a camp meeting tent. By the way, that would be in Battle Creek, Michigan. Now, get this. They're having camp meeting and a General Conference session, a combined. You know what? We're going to have General Conference in San Antonio. We'll have 70,000 people. You could never combine in a camp meeting tent in Michigan. The days have changed. They're all there together. Now, keep reading. The historic action under, those, under that flap was voted that officially moved Adventism out of North America. Here is the actual reading of that resolution. Resolved that the General Conference instruct the Executive Committee to send Elder J.N. Andrews to Switzerland as soon as practicable, end quote. In other words, go big or go home, we vote to go big. 
Good for them. Good for them. Which means, by the way, that it is time for me to put on my overcoat and leave. God bless you all. Have a wonderful rest of the service. And maybe you sing a hymn, take an extra offering. That'd be fine because I got to go. What was that, what was that date for that, uh, that, that, uh, that action? That date was uh, August 14, 1874. I want to tell you something. One month and one day later, all right? One month and one day later, John Andrews. Now, John Andrews was obviously in that tent. He was there. And you know what he said in his heart when he heard that vote? You know what he said in his heart? Here am I. Send me. I'm willing to go. Look at You're a lonely widower. You, you've been two years alone. Why not go? I'll take my two kids. Let's go. One month and one day later, the scene that you were about to see took place. Now, I'm very grateful for talented artists in this university and not in this university. This uh, scene is put together by a gentleman named Alan Collins. He put, the, he put the moment in bronze. And I want you to see it. This is when they're standing on the east coast, Boston. They're ready to go. Now, look, you've walked by this scene, I don't know how many times here on the campus of Andrews University, just outside the Pioneer Memorial Church. I'm going to this bronze statue that Alan Collins masterfully put together. As it would accurately be, he has Father John and Charles and Mary facing east because that's what they were doing. They were facing east. Look, at they're in Boston. They're going to cross the Atlantic. They've never been across the Atlantic in their lives. So they're going to get on this ship and go that way. They have a new home somewhere over there. And I love, to me, this is just such a fitting statue to have here on the campus of Andrews University. And the fact that we get to have it in front of our church is just, is just the, the deal of all deals. So I want to I want to step up to this because here's the familiar uh, seaman's chest. This is what they this is how they travel back then, and you know of course John Evans Andrews. There he is. Charles at this time is 17, and Mary is 13. They are ready to go. Now nobody knows. None of these three knows that in four years she'll be dead. Mary will die of tuberculosis. They will rush her. How can you rush? It took them 11 days to cross the Atlantic. No phones. Come on. They will rush her back to Battle Creek Sanitarium to try to capture her, recapture her life. She died. She's buried beside her mother. None of these three knows that in nine years, the missionary himself will be dead. Probably of complications of the same disease. All they know is that God has called them to go. You know what? When you go as a missionary, that's all you know. You have no idea how the story will end. You just go. John Andrews must have said in his heart when that resolution was passed, here am I, send me. And now his hand is pointing across the Atlantic, the first missionary of this fledgling movement to take the three angels' messages to Europe. I want to read to you. In fact, I'll put it on the screen there for you to see. When they get to Liverpool, eight, uh, eight, 11 days later, when they get to Liverpool, John, and you heard him a moment ago, John writes a letter to his mother. And this is such a beautiful letter. Uh, Liverpool, England, September 26, 1874. My very dear mother, 
you know, I just am so impressed. This man, so so thoughtful of him. He 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 gets into. He writes to his mother, my my, my very dear mother. We have this hour stepped on the shores of England. God has brought us hither in safety. We were taken seasick the second night, and we're sick about 24 hours. Hey, listen, as a missionary's kid myself, I have sailed the Atlantic twice as a boy. The, the Atlantic is almost always stormy. So I, you can imagine. He says, so sick for 24 hours, then helpless 24 more. Since then, we've enjoyed the pitching of the sea because you develop your sea legs. We have felt that the angel of God was with us on the ship. We shall go to London on Monday. I will give particulars hereafter. It is midnight, and I must write to many before I sleep. But I'm writing you first, Mom, is what he's saying. I'm sending the letter first to you. I've got to write to these others. I write first of all to you. We are well and hopeful in God. In much love, signed, John. And then a little... Scribbled line at the bottom of the letter. Write me to Neuchâtel, Switzerland. That's where we're going to be if you need to get in touch with me. And so they get to Liverpool. Then they cross the English Channel. They end up in Switzerland. Now, remember, they're going to Basel, Switzerland. They end up in Switzerland. And guess what? If you're a missionary, you're going to have to learn the language. So they make a covenant. And I want you to see this covenant. I'll put it on the screen for you. Andrews University's Focus magazine, by the way, gave a report of, of, the, of this correspondence, these letters that came into our possession here. And these are precious letters. Uh, this is the covenant, though. This is the Andrews family covenant, father and two children. Uh, this, this is cute. And by the way, Christmas Eve, this is, this is signed on Christmas Eve. We hereby covenant. No, the, the, the heading is covenant concerning the French language made between Charles, Mary, and their father. We hereby covenant together that we will use only the French language in our conversation with one another. We will not depart from this arrangement except by mutual consent when there shall exist good reasons for so doing. We will try in the fear of God to keep this covenant and we ask his help that we may fulfill it faithfully. I just love that. We're going to give it our best. We're going to do our very best to learn this language, but... I love this. It shall be our privilege to use the German language whenever we can speak a word or sentence of it. You can break the covenant because, you know, Switzerland speaks both. So if you want to do a little German, you can. No English. Just French or German. Basel, Switzerland, signed December 24, uh, 1876. And there, if you see the original, you can see it on the screen. Very small for you there. Jane Andrews, C.M. Andrews, in their actual handwriting, and little Mary, Mary F. Andrews. That's what happens. You've got to embrace the language. You immerse yourself. Now, I have one more because there are three of these. I have one more to read, but I, I'm not staying out in this cold any longer. I'm coming back. Don't you go anywhere. I'll be right back. But I want to talk to you about what happened to them when they got to, uh, when they got to Basel because the mission is you're the, first, you're the first missionary of our little movement, and you've got to find where the other believers are. You say, you say Dwight, uh, other believers, what do you mean? Well, you see, people had friends and relatives in the United States who became Seventh-day Adventists, who told their friends and relatives in Europe about what they now believe. And so there are converts. There are converts. And John Andrews' first task, find them. Just organize them. Find them, find them, find them, wherever they are. Once he does that, the mission is clear. You've got to form a publishing house. Build up from scratch with nothing. Build up a publishing house. We can start publishing not in English. We're going to publish in French. And so that's exactly what happened. Now listen, folks, how are, you going, how are you going to build a publishing house when it's just you and two kids? They're both teenagers. You have no money. You're just learning the language. And so John Nevins Andrews, true to form, just starts working himself to the nub. 
to build this publishing house. By the way, in the process, he becomes the editor and founder of the first French Seventh-day Adventist magazine, Signs of the Times, in French. He starts writing in French. Listen to this. The, the, the leaders back in uh, Battle Creek, they're saying, hey, John, you got to slow down. You're going to kill yourself. We know your tendency. You just take it easy. You don't have to do it overnight. But, but he, he's, just, he's just passionate about his calling. And so he writes back and says, listen, guys, I can't just sit in this printing house. I have to be writing. I have to be serving. And so it is that as he keeps working, his health continues to deteriorate. And as his health deteriorates, I mean, you know your own body. You know how you feel. He recognizes that he's going to lose this battle. I have a letter here. It's just a moving letter. Oh, if I, could be, if I could be like John, if I could just be like John. Listen to this. He wrote a letter to his friend Uriah Smith. Uriah Smith is editor of the Review and Herald at the time. At the top of the letter, you see it on the screen now? Yeah, and it's one of the most legible letters. At the top of the letter, private. He writes once and a second time, strictly private and confidential. Shh, don't tell anybody about this. Okay, it's dated Basel, April 24, 1883. Here we go. Dear Uriah, at the present time, by reason of my great prostration, I am brought to look death in the face. He knows what's approaching him. There is one thing that troubles me, which I lay before you in the form of a petition. It will fall to your lot to mention my death in the review. I beg you to make the simplest and briefest statement possible, and I solemnly charge you to exclude every word of eulogy. Don't get flowery on me. Don't just, don't just wax eloquent. Please, exclude it. One-third of a column of the review. He's been an editor. He knows how, how much that would be. One-third of a column of the review will suffice for all that should be said. Now, look. I make this request because I fear that your kind regard for me will constrain you to say what I do not merit and what ought not to be said. My best acts have, have had some trace of selfishness in them or have been lacking in love toward God and man. I beseech you, therefore, by all the affection which you bear me, that you will regard this my earnest petition. And will you also transmit this as a private note to Brother J.H. Wagner as the editor of the signs that he may know my wishes and act accordingly? Perhaps God will yet spare my life, but to human sight it seems much more likely that I shall soon be called hence. I am yours in Christ, J.N. Andrews. Six months later, October 21, 1883, he succumbs and dies. He is buried today in Basel, Switzerland. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, that letter needs not a word of commentary attached to it. That's the man whose name you and I will bear to the ends of the earth as graduates of this institution. Wow. What was it that drove him? What was this fiery passion that ignited this bright mind, this very tender spirit? He was feeling like all the pioneers. I'm telling you, there are three passions. Come on, passion for the Savior, passion for the Savior soon coming, passion to save the lost before the Savior soon comes. Three passions. You want to you see where the passion came from? You want to see the text that actually set his soul ablaze? This is what ignited all the pioneers. I have his Bible. I want you to look in your Bible, Revelation chapter 14. I have his Bible. 27 times he's read this Bible. 
Revelation chapter 14, these are familiar words perhaps to you. Revelation 14, verse 6. This is what fueled his passion. Verse 6, and I saw another angel fly, oh, the old King James, that's all they knew back then, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice in the Greek, megalophone, saying with a megaphone, crying out, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Who are these three angels captured here in Revelation 14? These three angels' messages embrace the red, hot, fiery passion of God to save the human race at the end of time. Essentially what they're saying is, the end is near. Jesus is coming soon. Prepare to meet your God. Come back to a world that is almost exclusively turned from the Creator. Come back to the Creator before He returns. Worship Him who made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters. Come back while there's time. That young Ellen White would later write, speaking of the third angel's message, this is the most fearful threatening ever addressed to mortals. This is fiery, red-hot passion to save this earth. And God will do anything to get our attention. That's what fueled this band of young pioneers. And because that was their fuel, guess what? It got passed on to us. Because you can see, Battle Creek College finally said, now we're going down to Bering Springs, Michigan, this little village on the St. Joseph River. They came down here. What did they give the name? What was the name? Emmanuel Missionary College. When they said, finally, we're tired of that name. We're going to become a university now. What did they do? Abandon missionary? Are you kidding? Let's find the greatest missionary in our movement. Let's name the university after that missionary. Andrews University. It shouts, missionary university. That's why this institution was raised up. That's why we still exist. That's the only reason God will keep this institution going, because of its mission. If our mission is to just become like every other school in this nation, it's over. Curtains. Adios. We'll find somebody else. We have it on loan in the name of John Nevins Andrews and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Second coming, it's right here. Look at verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And guess what? This church, which is a memorial to the pioneers, chose for the, for the crowning stained glass to depict Revelation 14, 14. That's it. You just read it. That's the picture of Revelation 14, 14. The passion of the pioneers, passion for the Savior, passion for the Savior soon coming, passion to save the world before the Savior soon comes. Three passions. And if you're an Andrews student, those three passions are your legacy for the rest of your life. Like it or not, they're yours. Everywhere you go, that's you. It must be me. Well, is this exclusively a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist passion? No, it's not. In fact, let me put these words on the screen. Young, uh, young writer down in, uh, in Alabama. David Platt, his book, Radical, captures the third passion on the screen. You'll need to fill it in. Every saved person, boy, it doesn't get put any better than this. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. We owe Christ to the world, to the least person and to the greatest person, to the richest person and to the poorest person, to the best person and to the worst person. We are in debt to the nations. He's borrowing Romans 1.14. Paul says, I am a debtor to both the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both the wise and the foolish. We are in debt because we have been entrusted a treasure, and the treasure is not for us to keep. The treasure is to deliver in the name of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs Him. 
Platt goes on, this is a cause worth living for. It is a cause worth dying for. It is a cause worthy of moving urgently on. We have the everlasting gospel of Christ in us, and we do not have time to waste. Some wonder if it's unfair for God to allow so many to have no knowledge of the gospel. There is no injustice in God. The injustice lies in Christians who possess the gospel and refuse to give their lives in making it known among those who have not heard. That's the injustice. You got all of this covering your shelves, filling your bookcases, filling your heart, and you're not sharing it. That's the injustice. And as he writes, that is what's unfair. Write that in. That is what's unfair. You're not telling anybody. You're just sitting on this. That's unfair. That's not right. A hundred years before Platt's passion, Ellen Hawaii reflected the same passion for the lost. I love this. Put it on the screen. God's faithful people have always been aggressive. That's her word. I love it. They have always been aggressive missionaries, consecrating their resources to the honor of His name and wisely using their talents in service. End quote. Aggressive. Do you know what aggressive means? Do you know what aggressive means? Here's what aggressive means. You've got to go big or go home. That's what aggressive means. Go big or go home. No little puny La-di-da-di-da kind of plans. We need big stuff now. An entire generation has to be reached in a single generation. Seven billion people. Wow, that's called going big. Which is why, by the way, this university congregation has decided to go big rather than go home. We're not going home, we're going big. Because you can't go home until you go big. If you don't go big, you'll never go home. Aggressive is the only way you can describe our new kingdom growth goal of 125 baptisms this year. This year, 125 baptisms, 125 precious souls, men, women, young adults, teenagers, children, 125 who by the grace of God, through our praying and our hard working, can come from the darkness into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the everlasting gospel. That's called going big, 125. But if that's not big enough, the same leadership, the volunteer leadership of this church said, no, that's not enough. That 125 concerns home base, this campus and the community around it. But we recommend a second 125, a second 125 for the student missionaries who go out, for the television that goes out, for the radio that goes out, for the web that goes out, for the world that's reached from this home base. Put the, put the arithmetic on the screen. 125 plus 125 equals 250. That's called going big. That is big. It's humanly impossible. Look at those numbers. It's humanly impossible for us. But not for God. Not with these two strategies. Would you jot them down? They're not in your study guide. Just jot them down on the margins. Two action steps. Two action steps. Jot them down, please. Action number one, we must start praying for the lost. We must start praying for the lost. We need to divide every wing of these dormitories up. One place, new life, pioneer. We need to be working on every wing of these dorms. We have hundreds of kids on this campus who do not know Jesus. Some of them have grown up in Adventist homes. A whole bunch never have. We are now an international community. They're coming from all over. Some have never heard of this kind of stuff. But God sent them to us for a reason. I'm sending them to you because you're named after my passionate missionary. You win them for me while they're there. I'll take them from there. We've got to pray. You got a roommate? You got somebody across the hall? Start praying. By name, the little car, you just write the names down. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying for the lost people I know. You live in the community, you got a neighbor next door? Sure you do. You got a neighbor down the street? You know the name. Write it down. Start praying. Two action step steps. Number one, we must start praying for the lost. 
Number two, number two, we must start seeking the lost. Action step number two, we must start seeking for the lost. You say, well, good luck, Dwight. I hope you can find all 125. Let us know when you got them. Nice try. Very nice try. This apostle quote continues. Put it on the screen. Not upon the ordained minister only rests the responsibility of going forth to fulfill this commission. Everyone, write that down, everyone who has received Christ is called to work for the salvation of their fellow men and women, end quote. You know, Pastor Sabine mentioned just a moment ago, we've got our brand new catalog already online. I've been getting, the, the emails are coming in. You're already registering. That's pretty smart because then you get your choice before they fill up. The next week when you come, there will be a Grow Group catalog in your worship bulletin. We, have, we hope to have one in one place. So we'll have uh, Grow Group catalogs over there and New Life as well. Why? Because it's time. You will see in the catalog a, a new category called Contagious Adventist Seminar. It's a winsome strategy, and I hope you sign up for that. It's a winsome strategy to become an effective witness for Christ. Just sign up. Put your name on. Eventually, we dream of, the, of, of everybody that wants to, to be trained. Contagious Adventists. I mean, that's how, how do I share? How do I share my faith? Hey, by the way, this afternoon, 3 o'clock downstairs in the Commons boardroom, we're going to take a look at the nuts and bolts of how to, how to share, just for two hours, 3 to 5. Come on over. Come on down. Be a part of it. Oh, the, the, the last slide from here from Acts of the Apostles, put it on the screen. Long has God waited for the spirit of service to take possession of the whole church so that everyone, write it down please, everyone shall be working for Him according to His ability. When the members of the church of God do their appointed work in the needy fields at home and abroad, it's not either or, it's both, in fulfillment of the gospel commission, hallelujah, the whole world will soon be warned and the Lord Jesus will return to this earth with power and great glory. Let me close with the words of John Andrew, John Nevins Andrews. Somebody came to him once and they said, Pastor Andrews, how do you go to work for God? And he responded. These words have been on the, my wall in my little study at home since 1995. I look at them every time I write. The words are there to remind me. John Andrews answered the question, I know of only one way. Find a field of labor, ask God to help, take off your coat, and pitch into the work. Guess what? You don't need a doctorate to become a missionary. You don't even need to be a college grad to be a witness for Christ. All you need is a heart that's passionate, to be passionate about what God's passionate about. Red hot for God. Ask Him to make your heart red hot. He will do it. Say, God, send me somebody. He will honor that sincere request. He wants you to help Him. He'll finish the work. But if we don't have the Father's heart, we're not going to the Father's home. Trust me. We're not going to the Father's home without the Father's heart. You have to love this world. God, give me your love. Give me a heart for the lost. He said, I will. But I need to know that you're going to act on this. I'm not just going to be pumping stuff into you that you sit around on. If you'll act on this, I'll give you that love. Calvary at the foot of the cross. Calvary. That's the passion. Red hot to save a world. Take out your Connect card, please, because I want to help you find a place in this world where you can go right away. The Connect card is in your worship bulletin. Pull it out. Our ushers are moving now to get ready to get this from us. Very good, ushers. Thank you. In the front of the card, guests, you're here. We're glad to have you. Just fill the card out. Your name, email address, that's all you need because we'll need your email address if you want something. And you turn the card over and we'll find out if you do. My next step today is, okay, what's my next step? Having heard about John Nevins Andrews, whose name I will bear for the rest of my life, 
What's my next step today? Number one, I would like to become a contagious witness for Jesus. If you put a check mark there, we will send you the link to that class in uh, that grow group. We'll send you the link to that grow group. And then you can sign right up. You don't have to wait till next week. I would like to become a contagious witness for Jesus at home or abroad. It doesn't matter. Just, just put a check mark there. We'll send you the link. You can decide what to do with that link. Number two, I am a student at Andrews University and I would like to serve as a student missionary. Would you really? I would love it if you did. I would love to see 100 students from Andrews University head over the, over the Atlantic, over the Pacific, down over the Caribbean, go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a year off. You know what I found out about student missions? Talking to my friend June Price. I found out that you get loan deferment. You get loan deferment. Number two, you get a little financial subsidy. Number three, you can get academic credits. All the while, you are following the, the call of Christ to become a missionary for me. Well, you say, Dwight, 11 months, what can I do? 11 months will change the world because it will change you and that little village or city that you're sent to. It'll change you. You will not come back the same. And then we send out John Nevins Andrews students to the planet when you're graduated. We'll put everything on hold for you. You won't miss a thing. You won't even have to be paying on your loans. That's good news. I'm an Andrews University student, and I would like to serve as a missionary. Put a check mark there, please. I'm not a student at Andrews University, but I also would like to serve as a missionary. I'm an adult. I'm another student at a community college. I go to Notre Dame. I, I, uh, can I go? Yes, you can. You put a check mark there. We will give, we will give you the opportunity, opportunity to put a po hit the pause button in your academic career, and we'll send you. Adventist Frontier Missions, one of the hotshot mission-sending organizations in the world, is headquartered right here. We are going to work with you. Trust me, I'm on their board. We will work with you to get you anywhere on earth you're willing to go. And finally, number four, I would like to contribute to the Student Missionary Fund because we need money. We need money for these student missionaries to be able to go. If God has blessed you with extra money, would you mind putting it on a tight envelope, Student Missionary Fund? You give. It'll go to our SMs. The time is right. God's heart is passionate. The world is ripe. Let's go. Let's pray. Dear God, what a name, this name that we bear. We never knew all of this story before. John Nevins Andrews, and now wherever we go, where are you from? I'm from Andrews. By just those words we say that his passion is now bequeathed to us. And so, dear Father, you have a band here of young radical missionaries who can storm this planet for you. Doesn't matter their academic discipline, doesn't matter where they're headed professionally, they are available to you and will be for the rest of their lives. Father, seize this moment, compel their hearts, and then send them forth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. Receive our morning tithes and offerings as well. In his name, amen. May I take an extra moment with you and let you know how grateful I am that you joined us in worship today. I hear from viewers like you across the nation and literally around the world, and I'm thankful. If you'd like to explore further what we've just shared, I hope you'll visit us at our website. It's an easy one to remember, www.pmchurch.tv. We're the Pioneer Memorial Church here on the campus of Andrews University. So that's www.pmchurch.tv. Click onto that website. And you'll be able to listen to a podcast of this material. You can download the presentation. You can print off the study guide. You may have a special prayer need that you wish to share with our prayer partners. Or you may wish to partner with us through a personal donation to help reach this generation with the everlasting good news of Christ. If you'd rather talk with someone, call one of our friendly operators. 
is the toll-free number, 877, and then the two words, His will. 877, His will. In the meantime, may the grace and peace of Jesus be yours every step of this adventurous way.